Welcome to Get Wisdom with your hosts, Carl Mollison and Brian Kelly. Imagine if God was a co-host. What if the historically rare ability to converse with God and get profound answers to questions has been rediscovered? What would God say to today's troubled world? Get Wisdom will share those answers. Now, here is Carl Mollison and Brian Kelly. Welcome to another episode of Get Wisdom. I'm Brian Kelly, along with Get Wisdom founder and director, Carl Mollison. Carl, this week's Get Wisdom is going to be on religious rituals. Do religious rituals actually do something, or are they just wishful thinking? Things like holy water, blessed crosses, St. Christopher medals, baptism, and holy communion. We have a divine update. Well, as someone who can talk to God and get answers in a conversation, I have a lot of options, and there are many many things I'm interested in, and many I feel are quite important. I tend to leave organized religion alone. It stands on its own, and I have no no war going on with the way anyone exercises their faith. I know there is some corruption. There's an overabundance of darkness that's crept in, and that's across the board in every human undertaking, every human institution. But I also don't believe in throwing the baby out with the bath. You know, let's let's take what's true as best we can determine and stick with it. And don't just denigrate something because one part of it doesn't make sense to you or appears to be faulty. So when this came up to look at rituals of this sort we're going to talk about, I was open-minded. I kind of grew up thinking some of this was a little bit silly. Uh, I was a Protestant, not a Catholic, and these, these some of these are more Catholic-oriented uh, rituals. And uh, it was quite interesting to hear the answers. And I think that this divine perspective of today will be enlightening. This is as of maybe a couple weeks ago yeah. that I went and asked about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to point out that this particular episode is probably going to be pretty heavily Christian-centric, but that's not to exclude the religious rituals of the Eastern world, for instance. You know, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, they're, you know, rich with rituals, and we may do a, a separate show on that someday. Yeah, I think that would be interesting, and, you know, we're hampered because we only know what we know about to ask about, and and this just happened to be a set of questions that came to me, and I acted on them, and so we're going to pass that on to you good folks. All right, well, we got a lot to get into. Uh, the first uh, question needs a little intro. Uh, there was a story, apparently, of a, of a grandmother. That, um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing some of the details in my mind, but uh, there was an illness, a severe illness with, a, I believe, a newborn, and um, the great the grandmother uh, sent holy water to, I, I think, be sprinkled onto the child or something of that along that nature, and the child was supposedly cured. A miraculous skin condition, or a, a very severe skin condition, was cured very, very quickly, if not instantly. So um, the question was, you know, asked. What was the miraculous power of this holy water? So we'll lead right into it. Is the story in this post on the internet of the miraculous power of holy water true? If so, did the faith the author's great-grandmother had in the efficacy and potency of the holy water she possessed help play a critical role, if not the critical role, in affecting the cure of her uncle born with a serious skin condition? Okay, and these are the words from Creator I channeled. 
this did in fact take place and was an example of a miracle cure, meaning a divine intervention without a conventional scientific explanation. This is why the doctors themselves were so amazed. Although the true status of the health compromise was unclear diagnostically, it was considered a grave condition because of the striking nature of the abnormalities present and was not considered to be transient. So to see this resolve before their eyes was a shock and is the hallmark of a miracle in action. We think of all divine healing as miraculous because it is not yet accepted formally by human science But some are swift and some are quite slow in coming. Those that are swift are clearly the dramatic ones and very satisfying and awesome to behold by the believer. That is what happened here. Well, Creator certainly affirms that there was a miracle in this story, um, that there was, you know, a, a a very quick, dramatic transformation. Creator basically doesn't answer the question about the role of the holy water here, but we're going to get that in other questions. I think Creator knew that ahead of time, so just gave us a brief answer on this one. Um, The next question that you asked Creator, did the holy water itself have additional energetic properties and efficacy that made it an indispensable component for the cure? If somebody had, let's say, opened and accidentally spilled the water and replaced it with locally sourced water without telling the owner... Would it have made any difference in affecting? Okay, and this is what Creator says. The water was conveying the blessing that bestowed the holy aspect that is meant by the term holy water. As such, holy water carries with it the energy of the divine as a conveyance and can deliver healing energy with ingestion or through contact. It is not an idea. It is not a supposition or a placebo effect of the believer thinking something beneficial happened, so the body does something mysterious with the expectation of relief and then relief comes. The placebo effect is a garden variety demonstration of human level healing capability inherent within the makeup of the body itself. Humans do have healing power, and the body has a kind of energetic wisdom it can work with to bring itself back into balance, and there is an interplay between mind and body oftentimes with the expectation of healing to bring those mechanisms to bear to return things to a balanced state, and symptoms will ease. Those effects are generally mild and fleeting. When there is a serious illness present, It eventually will override the placebo effect, and this is enhanced when the sufferers themselves see the signs of illness returning or worsening, and then lose their confidence that the healing is going to happen. This is the classic behavior of the ephemeral nature of the placebo response. Many substances are embraced as effective because they are new on the scene and the high expectations for their efficacy cause them to have a positive benefit. But eventually when further study shows there is no logical basis for the effectiveness and this knowledge spreads, people will lose confidence in it and the placebo effect will wane accordingly. A divine intervention is quite different because the energy of love bestowed to help the sufferer carries with it the answer to their dilemma. So it is not like a Band-Aid providing a temporary soothing or protection for a time to shield the problem from being exacerbated. 
but it will bring a restoration of normality that is always much more profound than a temporary symptomatic relief that is more like a Band-Aid than a true treatment bringing about a cure. The latter almost never happens in medicine. From the many treatments in current use, almost all are symptomatic in nature and not curative. What will happen if illness resolves is self-healing, and that can be facilitated by easing the symptoms with medication, but it is actually the body doing the healing and not the chemicals being adjusted for a symptomatic benefit. Curing an illness through divine intervention is a profound demonstration of putting the energy of love back into a human dilemma. This is the perfect antidote for human maladies because almost all are the consequence of a karmic trauma in the past, creating an energetic discord that is projected forward through the law of karma when it is most appropriate to impinge on the individual and be reckoned with. Those karmic events causing the discord and the energy that eventually wreaks havoc on the body are always an event when love was denied or perverted in some way to cause harm to the self or another. And that is why love is always the answer and the driving force for divine healing. Holy water contains the intention of divine love within. That is bestowed by whoever is blessing the water in the name of the divine. And it is the human intention coupled with a partnering with the Almighty that brings the divine love to bear. And the water serves as a conveyance of divine love on the wings of the human intention requesting the blessing of divine grace in this way to be imparted to the holy water for this purpose. If an individual's holy water is surreptitiously substituted with ordinary water and then used with the original expectation of benefit from holy water that lacks the blessing by a priest, for example, there may still be divine healing because the person applying the holy water or ingesting it or the recipient involved who believes in the divine and believes in the power of holy water to convey the divine healing to them will serve as the conduit and the supply of human intention, allowing a divine intervention to take place. What is missing then is the intention of a priest doing the usual blessing to make ordinary water holy. But a human with strong belief in the divine and a belief in their own worthiness to receive divine assistance can be a powerful self-advocate and in effect create their own holy water. Where things will be weakened is if the person finds out there has been a substitute. This may weaken their belief quotient in the exercise, and then the divine will not be able to act to anywhere near the same extent, and perhaps not at all if the belief quotient suffers a total loss of faith. This is the one downside of relying on a religious ritual of this kind. What does one do then when holy water is not available? It can become like a crutch and a diminishment of the person who begins to rely more and more on this outside substance than the purity of their own love of God and caring about the self to feel worthy of divine assistance and have a 100% belief quotient that healing for them will be possible through a simple request in the absence of further ritual. So rituals can be of great value 
And we will never discourage their use. Anything that helps create positive intention for self-improvement and a partnering with the divine will always have our support and blessings because this is the normal order and your birthright is divine humans to engage with us and benefit fully from a divine partnership for oneself and for gifting to others through your intention as well. Well, I think what we've learned here is that the answer is never a simple one, is it? <laughs> um, the holy water, the, the message creator is telling us is that holy water is a conveyance of a divine intention. Um, I kind of read it as, as maybe even like a form of battery, you know, that you can bless the holy water as a priest or even as an individual because that's not denied here. You don't have to have a particular status. You just have to have a partnership with the divine. And you can pass your intention onto the water and it will act as a conveyance to perhaps an unknown recipient. You know, because we know yes. that you have to be very specific in your request for divine healing, which means you probably most of the time have to identify the recipient. But this is a means by which you can bestow a blessing on water and then pass it on to somebody. And that can be bestowed with your full intention to a particular individual without you knowing that individual ahead of time. This is a very interesting um, phenomena. Yes, yes. Well, this, this is actually physics in action. I uh, was just editing this morning a channeling that I did with Albert Einstein uh, last December, so almost a year ago. And uh, Einstein talks about that everything in the universe is energy with a purpose. And that divine inspiration and the divine gift is energy with a purpose. And that's another way to think of this, I think, that energy with a purpose comes into that holy water and can be conveyed to a recipient through ingesting it or having it sprinkled on them. It's a conveyance for sure. And it is divine love that we're talking about. And what is divine love? It is a profound knowledge of how things need to be, to be in alignment. And that is why healing can happen, because it brings in the thoughts of the divine and the divine blueprint, what was intended in the creation of a person. And God knows how to get somebody back into alignment with their blueprint. It's just really that simple. Well, we're already running out of our first segment here, Carl. Let's see if we have enough time to get in this next one. I think uh, yeah, if we, if, we, if we push, we can get this next question in. Let's do it. So you ask Creator, there is a report on how a great deal of holy water is, in fact, highly unsanitary and even potentially dangerous to health because it usually contains a high bacterial contamination that worsens with the use of communal fonts. Can Creator comment on whether the fact it is holy or blessed makes any practical difference. Should people be more concerned about the safety of holy water than they currently are? Okay, good question. This is science versus religion. <laughs> kind of always an interesting uh, arm wrestling. Indeed. Creator says, the fact that people are using holy water with expectation of benefit and blessings from the divine gives the divine realm the latitude to remove any negative component that might get in the way of delivering a benefit. Certainly from a scientific perspective, applying holy water to wounds or ingesting it on the part of an individual with a compromised immune system who 
already is weakened by an infectious disease would carry risks. But this is discounting the power of the divide to overcome any obstacle. So here again, there is the question of belief quotient. If the belief quotient is not 100%, this may be one way in which the benefits are lessened if there is an adverse consequence because the water is not pure. This is a complicated subject and will depend on individuals involved in the scenario as well as what is actually in the water because who receives it and what condition they might be in with respect to their own immunity and the level of their belief quotient and worthiness of the self as they perceive it will all be factors in what happens. The divine can work miracles, but it is better to not be reckless. There are limits to our ability to override human choices. If people put themselves in harm's way, even through ignorance, we cannot always keep them fully protected. So what we'd, we would say about this is the track record is a good one, that people have not been so harmed by holy water that it has come to have a bad reputation as a risk. If people were being harmed with the level of use of this ritual, it would have been noticed well before now that something happens to those from attending church services and using this blessing or ingestion of holy water for the sick and so on, and particularly as a preventive measure. The reason there have not been concerns raised heretofore is that for the most part, the divine can override an adverse consequence. And this is part of our being conscientious to carry out the pure intention of the humans using this as a ritual for benefit. So you get protection from even the contaminants in the holy water if you have belief. Yes, indeed. That, that certainly seems to be the message here. And I believe we are out of this segment. So come on back and we'll have to talk more about uh, religious rituals when Get Wisdom continues. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Scientist and inventor Carl Mollison has discovered how a tiny percentage of people throughout history have made direct contact with God. At Get Wisdom, we have a searchable database of the Creator's wisdom and guidance from asking hundreds of probing questions. Get a free download from the Creator, answering the biggest questions people have wondered about. Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Get a free download explaining how to make prayer work in powerful new ways. We offer divine healing sessions with our comprehensive Lightworker Healing Protocol and train practitioners on how to save and heal humanity. We pierce the veil in channeled interviews with famous departed people now in the light to probe the greatest mysteries. Our weekly webinars feature the Creator's wisdom about solving the burning issues challenging us personally and globally. And we welcome viewer questions. There is no death. There are no secrets. Get enlightened. Visit GetWisdom.com. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Get Wisdom with Carl Mollison and Brian Kelly. They are here to answer your questions and comments about the program. Send us an email to contact at getwisdom.com. That's contact at getwisdom.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the second, episode, second segment of Get Wisdom. <laughs> we got a lot of material to cover, Carl, so let's get on with it. 
this next one is a question um, that builds on a quote from St. Teresa of Avila. From long experience, I have learned that there is nothing like holy water to put devils to flight and prevent them from coming back. They also flee from the cross, but return. So holy water must have great virtue. For my own part, whatever, whenever I take it, my soul feels a particular and most notable consolation. And that's St. Teresa. Um, can creator comment on this quote from Teresa de Avila? It's meaning... And it's veracity, this idea that holy water confers a more long-term uh, benefit than, than, a, than a cross. And this is what Creator said to us. This is actually a deeper insight than most would perceive. What she is noting is that from her intuitive understanding, holy water has greater benefit than simply having a cross in proximity to the person as worn on a necklace or in the room environment where it is visible and within reach. This is because of the ingestion or the direct contact and absorption of the energy directly within the person. It is a function of energy that it obeys many criteria. The energy of consciousness is present everywhere at once, but it impinges on what it touches in many cases. And when the energy of divine consciousness impinges on the water, and the water is then taken into the body or put on the body directly, it can more powerfully influence the recipient than simply having a cross within sight or worn on a necklace. The water molecules themselves will take on special energy as a consequence, and this can have healthful benefits in addition that will not come from the proximity of a cross. There will be the imparting of a special positive benefit to the novel organisms within the water if it is from an appropriate natural source. These organisms benefit the body greatly and when imbued with the divine energy will be all the more effective and long-lived to carry out this function. This will be less true today because much water used for such blessings will not be directly from lakes and rivers and natural springs as was more true in the earlier era of this saint. The other major point of difference is the intentions held by the person in their expectations. The cross is thought of more typically for blessings, for protection, whereas holy water for general well-being and the intentions of the humans involved in the ritual are all important because we must follow human intention always very closely and cannot deviate. And in fact, many times are limited because humans have a very selective view of something and a very diminished expectation of benefit. And this will correspondingly limit what we can offer. So the quotation from St. Teresa is wholly accurate and only lacking a mechanistic explanation. Boy, that is utterly fascinating. And I think it gets at your earlier point that this is a kind of physics going on here. There's an actual yes. physics taking place. It's metaphysics, but it's physics. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We got a lot of material to cover, so let's keep going. In an article on eight ways to use holy water, it is suggested that a priest bless your vehicle and sprinkle it with holy water. We know that the priest is adding his intention that the car and all future passengers be safe in the vehicle. To what extent will the power, efficacy, and even duration of the blessing depend on the belief quotient and strength of the partnership the priest has with the divine? Okay, and this is what Creator says. 
The belief quotient of the priest is all important with respect to his contribution to the human intention making possible a divine intervention through this ritual. When a human uses the holy water, they bring their own intention to bear as well. That can either amplify the intention further or diminish it depending on their personal limitations. But the two will add together, so the variability of the priest is only one factor. The person using the holy water or receiving it will add their own intention. If their belief quotient is quite high, the priest contribution is unneeded. So once again, the answer is never, never simple. There's a lot of factors that, that weigh into the calculus for sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's an equation. It's a physics equation of energy potential. Indeed. You ask creator, how much will the owner's belief quotient and partnership status detract from the power of the blessing conferred? If a priest blesses the car of an atheist husband at his wife's request, and the husband is never told, what are the likely long-term benefits, if any? Creator says... If the husband is a non-believer, but the wife is, her intention will be perfectly satisfactory to confer the blessing for his vehicle and all that takes place with him present. That is not to say he cannot be a negative influence. Human intentions are always the most important considerations and will outrank divine will because of the ongoing paradigm of free agency and free will being absolute as benefits and conditions of human existence. So even driving the blessed automobile will not protect a true believer or an atheist if they take reckless action or neglect safety precautions by engaging in speeding, etc., etc. So that, that makes an important point. Yes, that, yes. That uh, we still have control of things. This isn't like a magic shield. Right. This is not you know, exactly. It's not a doesn't give you shield. superpowers. Right. But it can confer a benefit. So it, there's, there's a message here that, you know, you're, it's not wasting your time to sprinkle holy water on a car, even of a non-believer, if, if you care about that person. Or right. or even hide a St. Christopher medal, we'll get to that, in the glove box or something, unbeknownst to that person even. You know, yeah. that, that can't confer an actual blessing is what we're learning here. You can pray for others. And this, yes. is, a, this is a truism. So is the story of St. Christopher, since I mentioned him, as recorded in Wikipedia, accurate? You guys will have to go and read that for yourselves. We don't have time to get into the history. But this is what Creator says about St. Christopher and the idea of St. Christopher medals. This story is accurate because it was told and retold and shared widely from those times on a continual basis up to the current day. That is why the ideas and embodiment of St. Christopher in a token of his being is still used as a representation of the successful journey embarked on for high purpose and completed with safety and effectiveness, courtesy of the divine sharing the experience. So in this story, we have another example of divine partnership that also incorporates the idea of commitment and obligation to hold to divine principles and divine truth, as well as the person's personal history being a factor in how the journey goes and may pose obstacles and complications. But that is part and parcel of the meaning of St. Christopher's journeys to show there is always a way to overcome the past and even taking on very heavy burdens. The ability to seek and request divine grace can make all things possible. 
So we would say that not only can the St. Christopher Medal be effective as a way to request divine oversight and protection, but can be used to request any and all benefits from the divine one might wish to acquire. After all, the divine is present everywhere in everything and will always help people when they ask, but will stand aside if they do not. So the question, will it be worthwhile to carry a St. Christopher medal, might be better rephrased to ask, why would you not carry a St. Christopher medal if it effectively facilitates a divine partnership, but without it, the person is content to be on their own? and never avails themselves of what a divine partnership can bring. So the medal is not the point. The point is the partnership. And however one decides to pursue having a relationship with the divine, it will bring many, many blessings. So basically, the creator is saying, why not hang one around your rearview mirror? You know, if it acts as a reminder of the divine partnership that you're trying to inculcate with creator. Yeah, and I think that's that's the power of ritual. It's a powerful reminder and a powerful incentive to take that action step, to reach out to the divine, just like you would with a prayer. If you don't pray, you're not in a partnership with the divine. This means exactly what it says. You have to say hello. You have to keep up the communication. Indeed. U.S. Creator, the use of a cross to dispel and ward off spirits, even Satan himself, um, who Creator says doesn't actually exist, but that's another story for another time, is a common theme. Is there any actual power in using a physical cross for this purpose? If it really works, why does it work? Does it work as a way of requesting divine intervention and as a means of helping belief quotient? We know objects can be cursed, and we also know they can be blessed. Can create a comment on the benefit of obtaining and using blessed objects such as crosses. All right. And this is what creator says. It is true that objects can be cursed, but also blessed. This will add energy of holy intent for the object in question that will be a benefit for those who believe, but not for those who do not. There needs to be more than simply an object with a history of veneration and being recognized by the divine realm, that it is to be used for a special purpose. There must also be a human consciousness and will to form an intention for its use in this way. In the absence of belief, no blessings will carry any weight and the divine realm must stand down. People similarly must believe in themselves as well as being worthy of divine assistance. So there is a dual requirement here. The cross is a powerful icon representing divinity and has been since the time of Christ. This itself imparts energy that a person can use for inspiration and to empower themselves through their belief for a strengthening to take place and buoy them up and help them make it through a very trying and difficult time. And certainly confronting dark spirits being intent on dragging a person down, bullying and tormenting them, and ruining their life is as serious as any other problem can be. So turning to the cross as a tool for divine assistance is a time-honored ritual that will confer a benefit to those who believe. It is that simple. It is not magic. It is the power of belief set into motion with an intent for something to happen. The divine realm will follow the intention held by the person, not simply the object they may hold. 
But human consciousness has power of its own. And this can be amplified again and again by many symbols that become a rallying cry. The sight of the national flag, a battle hymn, a rallying cry to seek the righting of wrongs of the past. All can be used to fire up a crowd and help people come together in unison to amplify their individual energies through a group effort that may carry the day in many settings. The cross has been used again and again for this kind of purpose, even to give strength and courage during battle in non-divine ways. But that is human-level energy then on display in a kind of placebo effect, you might say, because the divine will not encourage or support non-divine conduct. So there are always fine points and conditions that must be met for these kinds of energies to be in play and to have an influence on events. You know, Carl, we actually moved through this material pretty quickly. We have a couple of minutes. Uh, is, can I just briefly summarize the story of St. Christopher for the audience? Uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So St. Christopher was basically a, a seeker of divine wisdom, and I think he... Um, consulted with uh, a priest or, or a saint of some kind and, and asked, well, how can I best serve the divine? And he was a big, strong dude. St. Christopher was no midget. <laughs> and he, he said, well, you can carry people across this dangerous river. That's how you can serve the divine. And so he spent basically the rest of his life engaging in that activity, safely carrying uh, people across a very dangerous river with a heavy undertow. And he managed to successfully do that each and every time always mindful of the divine partnership and the, the power of the divine to help him through many, many difficult passages across the river. So that's the story of St. Christopher, and he was, you know, conferred a saint for that for that lifetime of service, and that's why he is remembered in the way he is. Yes, and, and there are magical aspects, because there was a divine encounter and a, a test of faith and courage along the way, and that's what made him a saint. Not yes. just that he was a strapping guy who was devoted and served other people out of the goodness of his heart. That makes all of us saints who can follow that divine path so very well. But uh, it's it's a special event when people are sainted. And I've come to understand why that is done. There is truly something real and significant about it and about the history involved. This isn't something that's just done just to kind of keep the game going. You know, there's there's a right. lot of skeptics who think this is all silliness. And, uh, you know, I, I find it ironic sitting here today defending, you know, Catholic rituals, if you will, with the holy water in particular and sure. the St. Christopher medal and and and. This is something as a kid I didn't buy into and I wasn't raised with those traditions. So that made it easy to kind of question it. It didn't, sure. you know, I wasn't really uh, trained and educated in the, in the history. I was, by the way, I was raised a Catholic just to let the audience know, but continue. Well, and I, I just want to say that I'm receiving my comeuppance here <laughs> and probing into these things and seeing the power and majesty of the divine and every bit of it, every bit. So the naysayers can go naysay somewhere else because the, the devout, the believers are on firm ground here, right. not only religiously, spiritually, and metaphysically, but scientifically, 
Yes. And eventually science will come to understand these phenomena in much greater detail. That's one of the things we're hoping to bring forward also. And this, this is one example of a bridge between the material realm and the divine realm. You know what's Seeing an object to convey divine consciousness yes. as a solution. You know, what's interesting, Carl, is that you say that your father was perhaps the most spiritual person that you've known in your life. And I can say that about my mother. My mother was an extremely devout Catholic. Uh, the last 10 years of her life, she went to Mass every single day. <laughs> and she made generous use of holy water and blessed crosses and St. Christopher medals and all that. She was all into the, the blessed objects and message of the Catholic Church. So uh, we both have that kind of background, actually. Well, it's interesting. And, and there's a lot of divisions among the religious uh, traditions. And that's that's human corruption entering in. Yes. And it's eye-opening to read things from the Muslim perspective. And ironically, they're very open to the Jews and the Christians. They consider them people of the book. That's the term they use. Because oh. all share common scripture. Yes. And they recognize the saints and the, the divine prophets, Jesus, as well as Muhammad. And there's more in common than people realize with the religious traditions. We need to get back to that central focus, I think. Well, that's part of what we're trying to do is, is bring that unity back as much as we can with these times that we're in nowadays. And that's, not, again, not to exclude the Eastern religions as well. There's a lot yes. of symbiosis there. And, you know, one thing that we may want to explore with Creator 2 down the road is uh, there's a lot of mythology about Christ having traveled to India and spending a lot of time there. And that might be something interesting to look into as well. Yes, that could well be. Well, be sure to visit us at GetWisdom.com. You can get our prayer book at uh, GetWisdom.com slash prayer, uh, the most effective way to, to, to pray. Uh, you can also learn about the Lightworker Healing Protocol by downloading our summary book, uh, ebook, GetWisdom.com slash LHP, which you can take in our online training course and become a trained healer with the LHP protocol. Uh, we'll be right back after this when we're going to talk about baptism and Holy Communion. So come on back for that conversation. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Scientist and inventor Carl Mollison has discovered how a tiny percentage of people throughout history have made direct contact with God. At Get Wisdom, we have a searchable database of the Creator's wisdom and guidance from asking hundreds of probing questions. Get a free download from the Creator, answering the biggest questions people have wondered about. Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Get a free download explaining how to make prayer work in powerful new ways. We offer divine healing sessions with our comprehensive Lightworker Healing Protocol and train practitioners on how to save and heal humanity. We pierce the veil in channeled interviews with famous departed people now in the light to probe the greatest mysteries. Our weekly webinars feature the Creator's wisdom about solving the burning issues challenging us personally and globally. And we welcome viewer questions. There is no death. There are no secrets. Get enlightened. Visit GetWisdom.com. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
You're listening to Get Wisdom with Carl Mollison and Brian Kelly. They are here to answer your questions and comments about the program. Send us an email to contact at getwisdom.com. That's contact at getwisdom.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the final segment of Get Wisdom. We're talking about religious rituals and whether or not they really work. Carl, you asked Creator, can Creator comment on the practice of baptism? What exactly happened when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? Was this sacramental ritual actually necessary for Christ to fulfill his divine mission? All right, and this is what Creator tells us. Ritual has an important place in the practice of spirituality by many religions and has great value for this. The use of ritual has many beneficial attributes. It creates a formality and seriousness, and it engages multiple sensory modalities of the worshiper in many cases. This keeps the focus squarely on the intention at hand and puts a more powerful intention behind the objective. Any additional expenditure of energy adds to the meaning of the whole and the power being devoted to reach whatever goal is in mind. The formalization in adopting and following a ritual regularly through repetition reinforces the execution in all respects from expectation through the delivery of the intention and then a return to a balanced state in letting go to proceed with the next activity. In the process, many things can happen as a result of the human intention and the expectation with a formal request, in most cases, to have participation by the divine in the experience. So this is a very powerful and effective way to enlist divine help and have it count. We can only do what humans ask of us. The more effectively they conduct the outreach, the greater the energy, focus, and power of intention, and heartfelt desire involved in the process, the greater our response can be to bring a greater degree of divine energy to act on the request, and the more effective will be the outcome. Baptism incorporates all of these criteria by being a whole body experience in the case of older individuals. It has, in addition, most typically the presence of multiple individuals taking part in the process, if only as observers. All will become entrained energetically in the desire for a divine expression to take place. This will create the effect similar to a communal prayer and will strengthen the meaning and consequence of the ritual. It has deep emotional recognition to a number of common principles and ideas and associations. For example, the benefit of being washed clean. The act of being submerged and then emerging from beneath the water to take a breath recapitulates symbolically the birth experience, coming in anew as a fresh participant and experiencer in starting out a new life. So this constitutes symbolically a rebirth with the new inner conviction to follow a more divine path. All of the combined energetic benefits of the trappings of the ritual empower what takes place and enable the greatest measure of divine love to be imparted to the individual taking part in the rite. So every aspect of the ritual has a purpose and a benefit. 
It is very effective in forming a closer bond to the divine and a solid partnership that can last a lifetime. And that is the ultimate meaning and end result of the baptism ritual itself. To symbolically turn oneself over to the divine, to be a part of life as a divine instrument, and to carry forth the divine message and intentions for humanity as a representative of the human family and an agent for the divine as well. Jesus Christ started his ministry with this ritual, and this has deep meaning as well. Part of this is the creation of an association of the ritual of baptism with Jesus being an example himself undergoing the procedure. In effect, as a kind of endorsement, as well as teaching by example the benefits of baptism. All of these purposes and goals were achieved, as the later history has amply demonstrated as not only his name lives on, but the baptism ritual lives on as well and is present uniformly in churches of today. Indeed it is. You know, I wonder, because baptism is seen as like a once-in-a-lifetime ritual, that might be a good question for Creator. Is that Has it always been intended as a once-in-a-lifetime ritual, or is this the fact that maybe it's something that could be applied on and on, you know, sporadic, you know, regularly through life, if the benefits are so great? That might be an interesting question for the creator down the road. Well, I think, you know, the answer is maybe in how the ritual is conducted and the purpose being one of initiation typically is how it's used in right. in worship services, that it's done for the infant to bring the infant formally into the, in this case, the Christian community. Sure. As a new member and someone who will be engaged in following that path with all the blessings conferred by the, uh, the minister or priest and, and the divine in attendance and participating to uplift all involved and especially the newly arrived member of the, of the fold. So, right. so I think that that really fits the purpose of this ritual and makes it extra important because it is the launching. So analogous to the birth process, you you only birthed once, at least physically, you're only birthed once then spiritually with this particular ritual. Although I think there's room for repetition. If someone feels they've departed and come back, yeah, you know, that's, to go that's through it again could be, you know, kind of like re-upping you know, when right. you join for and, another and, tour of duty. And to answer my own question, essentially, you know, the Catholics have the little holy water font at you know, the doors. As you come in or leave the church, you can dip your finger in the holy water and do the sign of the cross. And I re- remembering my Catholicism upbringing, that is kind of a, a reconnecting with your own baptism as part ah. of the teachings. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. And that, more- that's how I think of prayer as well. You know, it's yes. like you're taking time to check in and, you know, make your presence known, make your wishes known and desires and whatever heartfelt message you might have for creator. Yeah, Indeed. Is there a true phenomenon of substantiation of the host given to represent the body of Christ and wine to represent the blood of Christ during Holy Communion as practiced by Christians and more specifically Catholics. 
Yeah, you 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 misstated that word. Transubstantiation is the oh, formal okay. term for the transmutation, presumably, of the wine into blood and the 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 wafer or the bread into the the body of Christ. Yes. And this is one I know that bothers a lot of atheists, and they mock a lot of things about religion. And I heard someone, actually very recently, a prominent comedian, talk about how this struck him as being cannibalism. You know, yeah. that you're, you're, you're cannibalizing the body of Christ somehow, and isn't that bizarre, and ha, ha, ha. Well, <laughs> well this is what Creator says about this simple ritual. You will be surprised to learn that this actually happens, this transubstantiation. It is not the literal creation of a portion of Christ's body within your own or actual blood with blood cells and plasma representing the blood of Christ and its original blood type. It is a more profound transubstantiation to take the energy of the materials ingested during the communion ritual, and transmute their energy to the embodiment of all he represented as a divine messenger. The consequence will be a kind of grand enhancement of the spiritual connection by the recipient as the energy and vibration of divinity will be enhanced significantly and will be on the wavelength of Jesus Christ himself because that is the intention of the communion ritual itself to have an embodiment of Christ consciousness, so to speak. So this is not a trivial or to some a primitive or even off-putting suggestion that smacks of cannibalism. Being a ritual, it takes liberties with literal truth in the absence of a fuller scientific understanding of what is truly possible in the delivery of energies for such a purpose, but intuitively was seen to have great significance at the time of its inception. And this was divinely impulsed wisdom to get the ritual going so people could take advantage of this great blessing as a way of enhancing their spirituality and bringing them into harmony with Jesus Christ in a very direct and meaningful way. You know, the statement, so this is not trivial. I kind of visualize creator doing a mic drop. (laughs) This is powerful stuff. And it also speaks to your comment of a few moments ago about how to sort of recommit and how one reconnects, you know, do right. we need to rebaptize ourselves or be rebaptized? And and communion clearly serves that purpose for yes. the, the Christian community as a solemn ritual of identification with and a desire to be accepting the essence of the divinity exhibited by Christ and to take take that in and take it to heart and live its message. Well, we are driving very quickly to the close of this show already. Uh, one more question, if we can get it in. What does Jesus Christ think about the ritual of communion done in his name during church services? And Creator said to me, this Christ is glowing Jesus Christ is glowing at this question with delight, in fact, because he feels quite honored and quite blessed his message has gotten through, and even to the point 
people have devised a ritual to become more like him directly through a divine intervention rather than wait and wonder how they can build their lives and act in a way that is Christ-like. So this ritual he sees is not only a testament to his impact on human thinking, but also an avenue to further enhance their belief and even an inner recognition of their own divinity. That truly is represented with the notion that an embodiment of Christ himself could take place within a human being through the act of communion. The fact this is not felt to be improbable on its face attests to the inner awareness on a subconscious level that people have a divine connection strong enough to make them compatible with a divine figure like Jesus Christ, almost in the sense of having something transplanted directly. So not only is there the power of ritual, there is great meaning here as well about something quite wonderful that all share the same origin as an extension of the divine and all are members of the human family together. So you and Jesus Christ are linked together directly and this is only strengthened with a more local and closer approximation of energies by taking part in the ritual of communion to request directly the imprinting of Jesus Christ on your soul, in effect, through welcoming his energy into your being. Well, that is a wonderful message. Uh, you know, in, in listening to this whole program, it occurred to me that the LHP itself is actually a kind of ritual. It's, it's repetitive. We do it frequently. We say the same, you know, we go through the, the, the process with the same invocation. And as we do so, we strengthen our ability to bring about divine healing through an ongoing practice. Yeah, you're you're speaking of the light worker healing protocol that we I am. we offer to people. We offer sessions for healing, upliftment, solving problems in their lives, and and teaching people to use it and become healers themselves. And this is what Christ did in his yes. ministry. He taught the disciples to heal, and in a way, we're we're following that example with the light worker healing protocol. I think we is can that, do. I think we can do an entire show on that, Carl. We are out of time. We'll have to come back to this topic. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Take care. Thank you for listening today. Please tune in next Friday for another edition of Get Wisdom with Carl Mollison and Brian Kelly. They'll be here at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a beautiful week. 